Come on, let's rock and roll with the Ramones. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. Hey, this is Marky Ramon here. You're listening to Play That Rock and Roll with Joe K. I don't want to be buried in a big cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I want you to enjoy every minute of it. Keep rocking with Joe. Oh, oh, no. I don't want to live my life. And you can check out any time you want. But just call me Joe. And I can play that rock and roll for you. This is not a test. This is Play That Rock and Roll Podcast Edition. I am your host, Joseph K. And like the song at the start says, just call me Joe. Hey, you know we've listened to a lot of music lately. Can we just switch over to the ball game? Vaughn into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. I don't know what the big deal about Cracker Jack is. Did you ever go and buy a pack of Cracker Jack thinking you're gonna get a prize and find no prize <laughs> in the box? Why not talk about commercial products that don't do what they represent to do? He threw him out of the ball game. You gotta be paping me. What in the hell are you doing? Here's an umpire in the American League knows nothing about the game of baseball. Socialism failing to work as it always does, this time in Venezuela. You talk about giving everybody something free and all of a sudden there's no food to eat. And who do you think is the richest person in Venezuela? The daughter of Hugo Chavez. Hello. Anyway, 0-2. Okay, don't worry. I'm not going to start reading off any baseball scores. Much like the band we're talking about today, I cannot stand baseball, and I really don't know anything about it. (laughs) But despite not being a fan of baseball, the band we're going to talk about today has some very close connections to the sport, one of which is the band's name itself, The Outfield. Now, you may not know The Outfield. They're widely considered to be a one-hit wonder, although that's not technically true. It's just that their one hit was just so much bigger than anything else they ever did. And if you don't know what that hit is, here, I'll just play the few opening seconds of it, and you'll know it right away. Take a listen. Yeah, you know this song. Everybody knows this song. This gets played on radio stations all over the country every single day. It's one of the absolute best pop rock songs of the 1980s and almost universally beloved. I don't know anyone who's had a strong dislike to hearing this song. There there was no backlash to the outfield, which often happens when a song becomes as big as this one has. Now, I love this song, and I love this band, so I cannot wait to dive into their story. So, if you'll pardon a pun I'm going to fall back on again and again today, let's step up to the plate and take a swing at the outfield's history and career and talk about the big hit and, of course, everything that came after it. So... Uh, swing, batter, 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 swing. Here's the outfield. You know 
Now, the outfield is made up of three men. Bassist, singer, Tony Lewis, guitarist, keyboardist, songwriter, John Spinks, and drummer, Alan Jack. These guys became friends and formed a band in the late 70s. It was a power pop band called Sirius B. Sirius spelled like Sirius XM. Their style did not match what was very popular at the time. I should have mentioned these guys are all from England. So in the late 70s, punk was dominating the music scene. And their power pop band Sirius B was not going to fit in with what was going on with punk. Tony Lewis said to the website rockeyes.com in June 2011, we played a few local pubs and got some weird responses. Punk came along and blew Sirius B out of the water. And that's the long and short of it. They wanted to start a band in the late 70s, but the music scene was not going to be very friendly to their sound, and instead of trying to change their sound to fit what was popular, they just folded up shop to reemerge later on. A pretty impressive move, in, in, in my opinion. Now, this same group reunited in the early 80s under a new name, which was the Baseball Boys. Now, the Baseball Boys, of course, <laughs> implies that they were big fans of American baseball, but the reality was they weren't. Baseball wasn't very popular in England in the early 80s. This was actually a reference to a movie called The Warriors, which was released in 1979. Specifically, the Baseball Furies from The Warriors. Now, if you've ever seen The Warriors, the Baseball Furies are the guys in painted faces, and they're a gang, and they beat people up with baseball bats. Warriors is a great fucking movie with tons of great music, and the, I'm going to play the theme that plays when the Baseball Boys show up to... Uh, chase after the titular warriors. That is some great soundtrack work. I highly recommend checking out the warriors, both the movie and the soundtrack. If you see it, you can definitely understand why the guys in the outfield liked this movie so much and thought it would be fun to reference this particular gang for their band name. But in any case, good reference, but bad name. The Baseball Boys is a terrible name for a band, anyone will tell you. And their new manager did. Their manager thought the Baseball Boys was way too, I don't know, cutesy or silly, whatever. It wouldn't play in America. So they decided to go with the outfield because it's a connection to that baseball theme of the original name. And also there's three guys in the outfield and there's three guys in the band, so it kind of worked. So a good idea from their manager. When they came to America, they did try to get into baseball. They went to a couple of baseball games and I read some interviews and I saw an appearance they made on like Good Morning America or something where they talk about baseball and they seem to be much more impressed by the snacks and beer than the actual game. <laughs> In August 1986, John Spinks told the Chicago Tribune, the thing about American sports, baseball and football, is that they're far more show business, far more a spectacle than British sports. And he said that in 1986. <laughs> Imagine what he would say about the over-the-top spectacle pr production of American sports in 2020. 
So baseball as a sport did not really impress the so-called baseball boys. So they would go on as the outfield, and all through their career, their albums, many of them have little wink and nod references to baseball, but despite that, they never got into the sport. As far as I could tell, they were all soccer fans. I found out that Tony Lewis cheers for West Ham United Football Club. Football Club. Very typical for, for Europeans. They like football instead of American football and baseball. Now, when they were gigging around in England as the baseball boys, they had developed a reputation for being very American-sounding. What that means is that they had a reputation for sounding like bands like Journey and Foreigner, uh, Arena Rock. Tony Lewis's voice is very reminiscent of Steve Perry's, and they definitely had like an Arena Rock sound So they were very much in the vein of what was becoming very popular in the United States in the early 80s. In an effort to capitalize on that, their manager decided, well, let's just ditch England and set up shop in America and ride that trend. This is the same manager that gave them the the name The Outfield. And it was a, a brilliant move. So they moved to the United States and recorded some demos at Scarf Studios in 1984. And those demos got them signed with Columbia Records later in the year. And they would release their debut album, cleverly titled Play Deep, in November 1985. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. The lead-off single for Play Deep was not the song you're thinking of. It was a song I actually like a little bit better, dare I say. This is called Say It Isn't So. Let's take a listen to that. Say it isn't so. I love this song. This is my favorite outfield song. It's amazing to me that the first two tracks off their first album are first, my favorite song, and then second, 
their best song or their most popular song. And that's not to say everything or anything after them is bad, but it, it, they had just such a strong launch. Very impressive. Now, uh, Say It Isn't So is, is my favorite song from the band, but most people's favorite song is, of course, their big hit, Your Love. We heard it a moment ago. Take another listen here. This was Your Love, which was released as a single in February 1986. Now, as big as this song is still today, it wasn't a number one hit, wasn't even a top five. It was number six on the Billboard charts, which seems sort of low, considering what a life this track has had since then. But in any case, it was it eventually became the big summer hit of that year. It was released in February. Basically, they weren't touring uh, at that point in February 1986, so they decided to release Your Love as what they thought was a fun little pop song just to keep them on the radio uh, and hold over for a few months until they were ready for uh, the next single. Well, Your Love just took off, uh, you know, stayed on the charts for a long time and, like I said, became the song of the summer of 1986 and in many ways has been a great summer song ever since then. It's, it's such a memorable song because of so many great sing-along lyrics. You know, I could just read off a few. Try to stop my hands from shaking. You know that part of the song. As you're leaving, would you close the door and don't forget what I told you? These are just memorable phrases that are just so fun to sing along with, whether it's in the car or if you're at a bar seeing a cover band do a version of this. Um, it's it, it's definitely one that sticks with you. And again, I've never met anyone who doesn't like this song. This is a uh, can't miss when it comes to putting together music for a party. Now, given what a big successful song this was, a lot of people hope that there's some great story behind it. Josie's on a vacation far away. That's a great opening line. What's the story there? Well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there is no story here. There, this song is about nothing. There is no Josie. This isn't referencing anything that happened to anybody in the band. It was intended as a, quote, good little pop song. They did not anticipate the level of success that came with the track. It was just meant to hold them over until they could put out another single that they maybe had a little bit more faith in. But this steadily became not just their biggest song. This became one of the most iconic songs of the entire 1980s. You could find this song on any number of 80s compilation CDs. It's just so synonymous with that era. And if you've ever been to like a church festival or a county fair or a bar where there's a cover band, every cover band has a version of this song. This I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the most covered song ever, because it is just such a great party tune. Now, there hasn't been any real famous covers, but some big names have taken swings at it. Uh, Bruno Mars has said that it is his favorite song to cover uh, when he's playing. And Tony Lewis was asked about who did his favorite cover, and he said Katy Perry. 
Katy Perry has an interesting version. It's a little more modern, uh, but it doesn't try and replicate the song note for note. So I think that's what sets it apart, and that's why Tony liked it. So, you know, you might not be a fan of hers, but I, I have a soft spot for Katy Perry. So let's take a quick listen to Katy Perry's version of Your Love. I just want to use your love. Really not that bad. I'm not embarrassed to say it. I've seen Katy Perry in concert, and I wish she would have played this song, because I think it's a pretty good version, too. Now, the rest of the music on Play Deep is just fantastic. All the Love was another hit for them. Obviously not as big as uh, Your Love, but definitely very memorable. Every Time You Cry was another single landed on the charts. One of their best songs that was not released as a single is called 61 Seconds. That is a great track. That's one of my favorites of theirs. I'm going to play a quick clip of that as well. Yeah, that's a good song. This is a really strong debut album. It's up there as far as my favorite debut albums from a band. Just so much of their best stuff is on this CD. So if um, if you're new to this band, I would say this debut album, Play Deep, is without a doubt a must-own. Now their second album was titled with another baseball pseudo-reference. It was called Bangin'. And it was released in June 1987. Before we get to the music, uh, I would <laughs> recommend taking a quick look at uh, the album cover art. If you're interested in seeing the worst cover for a band's album ever. This is the ugliest album cover I've ever seen. I cannot make heads or tails of it. It's like a close-up of a guy's shoe with the leg extending upwards to the top of the record where the guy's waist is and it looks like he's wearing a diaper. For years I thought the foot was stepping on a base, like in a, in a baseball diamond, but I don't think that's actually the case. It is hideous. I, I, I can't make heads or tables of it. I don't know why they chose this artwork. I looked quite a bit for some information about how this got picked. I couldn't find anything. So if you know why they went with this hideous album cover for Bangin', please post a comment below. As far as the music on the album goes, it's more of a harder rock sound. So for rock fans, I guess that's good. It wasn't particularly memorable to me. The single, Since You've Been Gone, is a very good single, so I definitely recommend that. But outside of that single, didn't really grab me. Ultimately, this is the dreaded sophomore slump. But again, since you've been gone, good single. I'll play a quick clip of that. Since you've been gone, at your and I know it won't be long, and I know back. So their third album was called Voices of Babylon and was released in March 1989. Now, at this point in their career, they were feeling some pressure from their label for pop success. This was a make-or-break sort of album as far as how uh, staying on their label. This happens a lot with 
bands who come out of the gates very strongly. You know, their label gives them basically two chances after the first big hit to get it right. Bangin' did not bang as well as they wanted it to, so they needed Voices of Babylon to be a hit. It almost was. The title track was number two on the Billboard rock charts, but not a lot of success on the pop charts, which is, I gotta say, too bad because one of their singles, My Paradise, is one of their best songs. And honestly, I don't understand why this wasn't a hit. This is an absolute jam. This should have done much better than it did. Take a listen to this. Yeah, great song. Title track's really good too. This is a more sophisticated album. It's not the hard rock that was on Bangin'. A little more adult contemporary power pop, if that makes any sense. But that's really good. There's very good production here. This is my second favorite album of theirs. So if you like The Outfield, obviously you want Play Deep. I would definitely recommend getting this one too. Now, because it wasn't particularly successful, they they did leave Columbia and unfortunately, and I'm not quite sure why, I guess there was a, a number of reasons, but their drummer, Alan Jackman, left the band. And he would be out of the band for over 20 years after the release of this one. And I think I gotta say, I think the band suffered without him. But they did continue on without him. Tony and John would push forward as a duo into the 1990s. And... We're going to get to that after the break. I think right now is a good time to take a break and take a look at some of the biggest headlines of recent weeks in a segment I call Yesterday's News. So it's been a running theme all year. There haven't been a lot of news stories in the world of classic rock. A lot of bands are fairly inactive right now, so much like my past several episodes, the headlines of my so-called classic rock newspaper are on the obituaries page. And there is a big fucking name front and center, and that is, of course, Eddie Van Halen, who passed away at age 65 just less than a month ago. If you subscribe to my YouTube channel, you'll see I did a full vlog in which I discussed my memories of Eddie and Van Halen's music. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about Eddie today. I will say that I, as a fan, I'm relieved to hear that Eddie reconciled with Sammy Hagar and Mike Anthony. I hated the feud that Eddie had with Sammy, and I had always hoped that if not for them getting back together to do uh, like a tour, they would at least like... Uh, let go of the grudges they had with each other and it sounds like they had an opportunity and they did just that which is again you know I, obviously I don't really have any skin in the game for something like that but like as a fan it's it's I'm glad I'm glad to hear that news if, if you're interested about why those two had such beef it's on my old YouTube channel but I did a vlog where I talked about why a reunion between those guys was was very unlikely but in any case, 
Rest in peace, Eddie Van Halen. He's arguably the most important guitarist who ever lived. He was a true prodigy, and he gave us such great music. So, truly a sad year, if only for the loss of, of Eddie. And unfortunately, he's not the only one who passed away in this last month. If you didn't realize, I sort of buried the lead with this episode. Tony Lewis, from the outfield, passed away last month. And I am recording this podcast very much in his honor and in his memory. This is very much a tribute to Tony and the outfield, as the outfield has always been one of my absolute favorite bands. And I was as sad about Tony Lewis dying as I was when I heard that Eddie Van Halen passed away. In my vlog about Eddie, I talked about how I had formed a friendship at my old job with a, a buddy of mine based on Eddie's music. You know, we both worked at a pizza place, and we became really good friends because we talked about Van Halen music, and we liked the same same music. We went to see a concert together. I, I got a great friend out of just shooting the breeze at work and talking a lot about Van Halen. And that same thing happened to me at the same job, actually, over the outfield. You know, I played my music at work, and a, and a guy I worked with, he was into the outfield as well. We started talking about him. We became really good friends and still are today. And it's just one of those things where it's like, music can absolutely be the spark or a genesis of a friendship. And I didn't think about it very much until this month, because Eddie and now Tony uh, were two guys who absolutely made that music that sparked two very good friendships in my life. So I know other people have stories like that, and that's why uh, losing Tony was very sad. And, and, and of course, the other thing is that Eddie and Tony were both fairly young. Eddie was 65, Tony was 62. And unfortunately, as if that wasn't enough, on the same day Tony Lewis passed away, Spencer Davis, uh, the namesake of the Spencer Davis group, a highly influential 1960s rock band, passed away at age 81. The Spencer Davis Group is most famous for launching the career of Steve Winwood, who is one of my absolute favorite vocalists. So in honor and memory of Spencer Davis, here's a clip of I'm a Man by the Spencer Davis Group. So, in all this sadness, I gotta say, we've, we've gotta talk about something a little more uplifting here. This has been such a garbage fire of a year. We, we are in desperate need of some good news. And finally, I think classic rock fans have something to look forward to. And that is new music. It appears to me that all this time off that so many of our favorite artists have had due to COVID-19 is starting to pay off. There are three big name albums that either dropped recently or will be dropping in the next couple of weeks. They are new albums from ACDC, Bruce Springsteen, and Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney's album is going to be called McCartney 3, and this is his first album since 1980's McCartney 2 that he does all the instruments on. ACDC's album is very much in tribute to Malcolm Young, passed away a number of years ago. Uh, I didn't think ACDC was ever coming back with new music. That band 
seemed as done as done gets in 2016 with not just with Malcolm gone but like you know their drummer had legal problems their bassist had retired their vocalist Brian Johnson like was going deaf you know and Axel Rose had to step in but now Axel's back with Guns N' Roses like it, it didn't seem like there was anybody still left in the band but everybody has since come back if you want to learn more about that album I would point you to the podcast Let There Be Talk which is hosted by Dean Del Rey. Dean is very much the ultimate ACDC fan and also just hands down the best rock and roll podcaster. I highly recommend Let There Be Talk podcast if you like rock podcasts. But the point is, Dean Del Rey got to interview Angus Young, Brian Johnson, and Cliff Williams from ACDC. And they talk about the new album. They talk about some old stuff. It's tough to get interviews with those guys so i'm really happy for dean they were great interviews and it's really cool to see them uh, with new music now another new album that classic rock fans might be interested in is the new one from miley cyrus now i know you're probably groaning i've never been a fan of miley cyrus i've never liked really any of her music but the single she put out earlier this year caught my ear and then i saw some videos of her doing covers of Blondie's Heart of Glass and the Cranberries Zombie and she kills it on those. I can't wait to hear her new album because her new sound is very reminiscent and very inspired by the early 80s vibe of Blondie, Joan Jett, Stevie Nicks, the ladies of rock and roll in the early 80s which is a very cool sound. I think Billy Idol is supposed to contribute to this album. So I'm very curious to hear Miley Cyrus's new album. And if you don't believe me, I'll play us out of a clip of that song I was just talking about. This is Miley Cyrus's new single, Midnight Sky. If you're a classic rock fan, you might enjoy it. Here, take a listen. Okay, segment two. As we enter the 1990s, you'll have to pardon this tortured metaphor, but I told you I was going to come back to it. As they go through the 1990s, the outfield experienced more strikes than home runs, unfortunately. Although, that's not to say we should be skipping over this stuff because there are some base hits here, okay? (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry, that's stretching too far. So their fourth album was called Diamond Days. It was released in October 1990. This is their first album on the new label, which was MCA. And in 2018, Tony Lewis told CrypticRock.com, After we moved on to MCA, we did Diamond Days and Rock Eye, and we basically pleased ourselves. We recorded up in England and had a great time doing them. We didn't have the pressure of a producer breathing down our necks. We didn't have a time frame or anything. So basically, every album from here on out, they did on their own, and they didn't have the typical studio pressure for a band. And the results were pretty good. For instance, here's the the first single from Diamond Days. It's called For You. This is one of their best songs, period. So take a listen to this. That's fucking great. Like, they are still performing at a high level. There's another track on the album called Burning Blue. I like that one a lot. And then there's one called John Lennon, which is 
obviously a tribute to the late John Lennon. It's a little different because John Spinks, the guitarist, he steps forward and sings lead on it. And he doesn't sound bad at all. So that's another interesting song to check out. Now their fifth album, the aforementioned Rock Eye, was released in March 1992. This was their last album with singles that charted at all. The last single to chart in the U.S. was number 43 on the Billboard charts. It was called Closer to Me. And again, one of their best songs. Take a listen to this. Very cool song, sounds great, too bad it wasn't a bigger hit. Now another song off this album that we'll take a listen to is called Winning It All. Now this song shows some real potential of what this band could have been. There was, I think, a strategy this band could have pursued over the years, and that was basically do what Survivor did and make non-jock jam sports anthems. Winning It All is not a jock jam. But it is a fantastic song to play over slow motion clips of sports. You know, this was played over the end credits of the 1992 and also 1996 NBA Finals. I looked up some clips where it plays and it it works perfectly. And it blows my mind that they didn't do this sort of stuff more often. With a name like The Outfield, there's a very clear connection to sports. And bands, like I said, like Survivor, were having hits by writing sports songs. I think that that was a golden opportunity there. They put it all together on this one. This is a great sports song, but I think it maybe came a little too late in their career to to really be a big hit. That said, still a great song. So here, take a listen to this, and we can see all of the sports references in the outfield's past coming to fruition. Here's Winning It All. So it wasn't just used in the NBA Finals. Uh, You can also find it on the Mighty Ducks soundtrack. Despite my appreciation for Emilio Estevez, I've never seen the Mighty Ducks, so I don't know where in the movie it plays or if it's just on the soundtrack. There's a couple other tracks in the album that are pretty good. There's one called Young Love and another one called Stranger in My Own Town that I like, but at the end of the day, neither this one or the one before are particularly strong albums. Not as good as Voices of Babylon, unfortunately. And then the last thing I'll mention is that, like we saw on Diamond Days, John Spinks uh, steps forward again and sings lead on three songs, and he sounds pretty decent. Obviously, he's not as good as Tony, but that's a pretty impossible standard. But if you're a fan of this band and you're curious, I would say John's voice is pretty impressive. Now, Rock Eye was released in 1992, which is right when the musical landscape was starting to change drastically. Grunge was taking over the rock mainstream, and it was basically eradicating (laughs) everything that came before it. Hair metal was dying off, new wave was done, and the power pop sound that the outfield came from was just about as uncool as it got. So in a move that harkens back to what they did in the late 70s, pardon the pun, they took themselves out of the game. They decided to 
sit out a good chunk of the 90s. They went on hiatus to wait out the grunge trend. As Joe Walsh sings in the lyrics of this show's theme song, when the critics try to analyze the current trend, I just sit back and watch them come and go. And that's exactly what the outfield did. They sat back and watched grunge come and go, and they waded back into the music scene at the end of the decade. Now, their re-entry to the music scene was slow and steady. They returned to England, played some pub gigs in their hometown to sort of mixed responses. The thing was, is they weren't exactly hometown heroes. They didn't really build an audience in England. Their popularity was in the United States. So they didn't enjoy much more touring success until they returned to the United States. They did do that right at the end of the 90s. They put out a album called It Ain't Over in September 1998. This one was a little different because it was a fan club only release. So you had to be in their fan club to get the CD. They then put out an expanded re-release, which was called Extra Innings in July 1999. This is not a strong record. Two songs, Midnight Moves and Talking About Us Are Okay, but this was the first one that I listened to that didn't do much for me at all, and I sort of checked out before it was was over. They did not end the 90s on a strong note. This is probably their only album in their discography that I would recommend skipping, unless you're truly a diehard and you want to listen to everything. But in any case, the album did get them back out on the road, which they were received well, at least in America, and they toured fairly regularly through the end of the 90s and into the early 2000s, but I don't think they realized this at the time, but the outfield went out on their final tour in 2003. And from what I can tell, the final show ever for these guys as the outfield happened at the Decatur Celebration in Decatur, Illinois on August 3rd, 2003. Now we're coming up on another break, so we're going to talk about what took them off the road after the break. So just put a pin in that and we'll get to it shortly. Now, the outfield ceased as a touring entity in 2003, but they continued to release music. Their seventh album, which was called Any Time Now, was released in March 2006, although there was an expanded online version released earlier in 2004. This is a stronger album than the last one. Two songs that I liked were called This Love Affair and another one called Peace. Peace is very reminiscent of... John Lennon's Imagine, which is the band's second big tribute to John Lennon. Lennon was obviously a tremendous inspiration to the band, in particular John Spinks. I found a 2010 interview they did with rockandrollreport.com where they were asked about what the first album they ever bought was. Tony's response was, the first Beatles album with the Beatles made a big impression on me. Lennon and McCartney's melodies and harmonies have been a major influence to our sound. John said, the first album I ever bought was with the Beatles. I can only extend on the fact that I, we, grew up in England during the 60s where it was impossible not to be affected by the Beatles. You know, that doesn't make them special. Obviously, almost every rock band ever would have to acknowledge some inspiration from the Beatles. So if it wasn't already obvious, there you go. Some strong influence from the Beatles. I will say that Any Time Now has definitely better production than their last couple of records. So it's a fuller sound. I enjoyed listening to this one uh, quite a bit. Now their eighth album was called Replay. 
and it was released in June 2011. Now, Replay marked their first album since 1989 that featured Alan Jackman, their original drummer. This was very special to them. They were very happy to have the original lineup back together. Going back to that Beatles theme, they actually recorded parts of this album at Abbey Road Studios, so I'm sure that meant quite a bit to them. And although they didn't tour behind any time now, they were absolutely trying to put together a tour for Replay. Their official Facebook page announced plans for a tour in September 2010. And in November 2010, on that same interview with rockandrollreport.com, John said, quote, it's definitely our intention to tour. So they wanted to take Replay out on the road. But in the end, that did not happen. And I'll get to why again after the break. Just some last things about Replay. The lead-off single, California Sun, was surprisingly well-received. Got some radio play, especially out west. It's a good song, very upbeat, very lively. I like it. There's another track in the album called Shake Your Thing. I think that's a good one. Here, I'll play a clip of that. This is Shake Your Thing off of Replay. definitely captures that power pop thing that is so appealing for me. And I like rock and roll tributes. That's why I mentioned the Beatles stuff earlier. There's another little tribute to an older classic rock band. There's a track in the album called Disraeli Years, which is a subtle reference to the English supergroup Cream, which was also a power trio, some sort of influence on the outfield as well. The reference is that Cream had an album called Disraeli Gears. So having this track titled Disraeli Years, obviously a little nod to Cream, a power trio that came before and sort of one way or another paved the way for the outfield. So even though they announced their intention to tour behind Replay in 2010, the album came out in 2011, they never did go on the road. And that was because John Spinks was dealing with some very serious health issues. At some point in the early 2000s, I can't tell exactly when, John was diagnosed with liver cancer. And he was really feeling the effects of it during the recording process for replay. He was often in excruciating pain in the studio during the recording sessions due to his condition. And I suspect, although I can't say for sure, that part of why Alan Jackman returned to the band is perhaps because he knew John was sick and they wanted to put out one last great outfield album while they still had time. Now in April 2012, the band's Facebook page posted, John Spinks continues to recover from an extended battle with cancer. At this time, there are no plans for the band to tour. You know, it gives the impression that he was in remission or in recovery and there were various points that obviously appeared promising for John. I suspect he must have been doing very well in 2010, which is why they were talking about doing it to her. But sadly, Replay would be the final album from the outfield. And I'll tell you why after this break. You can probably guess. But this is a good point for a break, so we can get into a segment that takes a look back at some of the biggest 
headlines of yesteryear in the world of classic rock. This is called Back in Time. So Huey Lewis, please take us back in time. Is this a 50s or 1999? If you can believe it, 35 years ago, in November 1985, Jan Hammer's Miami Vice theme becomes a number one hit. <laughs> I'm sure there have been other TV show theme songs that have landed on the charts, but that is still very weird to me. I mean, it's a, it is a great instrumental piece. I absolutely love the Miami Vice soundtrack, and I'm a huge fan of that show. I'm going to talk about Miami Vice any chance I get on this show, so just be aware of that. As a classic rock fan, I can't recommend it enough because it features many iconic classic rock moments throughout its run. So we'll give a little tip of the hat to Jan Hammer's Miami Vice theme here. Further than that, 50 years ago, November 9th, 1970, Derek and the Dominoes released Layla and Other Assorted Love Songs. This is widely considered to be Eric Clapton's greatest moment. Layla, to me, is the greatest epic classic rock song. To me, Layla stands above Hotel California, Stairway to Heaven, or, or any other long, epic classic rock song. It's just a jam. And it's a strong album all the way through. So you also have Bell Bottom Blues and Key to the Highway also on that record. So just a, another salute to a, a great album that came out 50 years ago. It's 50-year anniversary of Derek and the Dominoes, Layla, and other assorted love songs. Move forward 10 years to 40 years ago, November 21st, 1980. Don Henley from the Eagles is arrested when cocaine, quaaludes, and marijuana are found in his hotel room after a 16-year-old prostitute is taken to the hospital with drug-related seizures. Henley is subsequently charged with contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Now, this is a pretty gross, sleazy story, but I do need to bring it up because I talked about it in one of my previous episodes. If you saw my interview with Kristen Casey, uh, the author of Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh. She told me that Joe Walsh was a little disgusted by some of Henley and Fry's sexual and drug antics with underage groupies. And I told her I didn't think that was talking out of school or saying something she shouldn't because that was sort of well-known. Glenn Fry had a nickname back in the 70s as the Teen King. And then there was this story where this 16-year-old girl had seizures due to a drug overdose. Now, when I was talking to Kristen, I referred to this girl as 14, not 16, and I said that she had died. Well, that's a pretty big mistake to make. She didn't die, she survived, and she was a little older than I said she was, so... That's my correction I, I want to issue about that. But in any case, it's a, it's a fairly big story. It speaks to the grosser, darker side 
uh, of the classic rock era. And that kind of stuff should not be forgotten, you know? Classic rock should be remembered as a whole. Now, this incident actually impacted Henley's career. He pleaded no contest, and he was fined 2500 bucks, and he got put on two years probation. That's a joke, by the way. That's virtually no money, and two years probation means nothing. So the rich and famous getting, getting off lightly, that was absolutely the case in 1980. <laughs> but he was still so angry about this whole event and this the, the negative press coverage that he got that he wrote the song Dirty Laundry, which was a biting criticism of tabloid journalism. And it all stemmed from newspapers covering a story in which an underage girl almost died at one of his parties. But like I said to Kristen, hey, it's great songs. What are you going to (laughs) do? So there you go. And then if we fast forward exactly 10 years to November 21, 1990, 30 years ago, Mick Jagger marries longtime girlfriend Jerry Hall in a traditional Hindu ceremony on the island of Bali. Now, I only bring this up because I've read a number of Mick Jagger biographies, and they all cover this wedding. And the, the real story here is that it, it was a fake wedding. Like, there, were, there was no legal ramifications of it. This Hindu ceremony was basically Jagger's way of placating jerry's desire to get married while not putting any of his finances or assets at risk of being lost to her in the case of their inevitable divorce something that kind of says it all about jagger's unending commitment issues (laughs) so uh sort of a funny little story in classic rock there but that's enough looking back for right now let's get back to the the main story and wrap this up Okay, final segment. So, Replay, released in 2011. That's the last ever Outfield album. And if you couldn't guess, it's because John Spinks finally succumbed to liver cancer on July 9th, 2014. He had battled liver cancer for several years. Again, I can't exactly identify when he was diagnosed. The band has always been very private about that. So I I don't really have any information, but I have to guess it was some point in the mid 2000s. And that means he he had been battling this thing for going on close to a decade, which is impressive to John's strength. And at points, his recovery must have appeared promising at times because they had talked about touring. He said he wanted to tour, but ultimately he was never well enough to get out on the road, which is very sad and his passing marked the official end of the band as soon as tony started doing interviews after john's passing he made it clear that there would be no outfield without john he, he might be tony from the outfield but he would never tour as the outfield uh, now that john was gone and that's because john was a tony's best friend and b john was the primary creative force behind the band he wrote almost all of the songs and he composed them, and he played guitar. Tony's voice is what makes Your Love and the Outfield sound very iconic, but it was John's songwriting and musicianship that put them in a position to be taken to the next level by Tony's voice. Like, this was 
very much a partnership between John and Tony. Now, I don't want to underrate Alan Jackman. The band definitely was at their best with Alan in the band. But they were able to continue on when Alan left. If John had ever left the outfield, they could not have continued on without any level of credibility. He was the backbone of the band. So now that he's gone, the outfield is over. But the story we're talking about isn't over just yet because Tony would eventually continue on on his own. Tony Lewis released his debut solo album called Out of the Darkness in May 2018. Now, he had started work on it some point in 2016. Basically, he was inactive for two years after John's death because he was so depressed by the loss of his best friend. So as sort of a coping mechanism to get over that grief, he started recording instrumental pieces, backing vocals, just little things in his own studio to help sort of get back in a routine. And he's said that his wife, Carol, was key to getting him sort of out of his depression and back into doing what he does best, and that's recording music. He played all of the instruments on this record, and he said that he struggled with putting lyrics together, but his wife stepped in and helped him write most of the lyrics on the album. So this Out of the Darkness album is musically Tony's sound, but lyrically a lot of that comes uh, from his his marriage. The lead-off single, Into the Light, is beautiful. And it captures the theme of the whole album, which is about Tony pulling himself out of his depression. So here, take a quick listen to Into the Light. This is Tony Lewis's debut solo single, Into the Light. So take me out of the darkness and into sounds really great. I think his voice is as strong as ever and it's a beautiful piece of music. This album isn't just him pulling himself out of depression either. This was also a statement that he as a musician could do more than quote just play bass and sing. He could play guitar, he could do drums. He was a well-rounded musician and he wanted to establish himself as this now that he was going to be a solo artist. Later in 2018 he released a Christmas single which is called Christmas is Nothing Without You. I like Christmas music but you know, it's not Christmas time right now, so I won't <laughs> subject you to it if you're not a Christmas fan. I will definitely talk about this song in my upcoming Christmas episode. And then earlier this year, there was a CD that was put out called The Baseball Boys, Early Demos and Rare Tracks, which is a fairly typical release from a band. This is just studio bits that are left over, some stuff that was either early phases that never went to the next level or didn't get put on an official CD. So if you're you're a fan and you want to do a deep dive, you could check this out. But I hate to say it, I haven't heard it. I've heard some of their other demos, but uh, I don't have this one. Maybe we should check it out because this is most likely the final official release from the outfield ever. Unless they have some live stuff in their archive, I expect that there's not going to be anything released by the outfield um, from here on out. But I could be wrong. We'll see. Now, Tony had not toured since 2003, and he had never done a solo show. 
but he wanted to tour to promote Out of the Darkness. So in an effort to ease himself back into touring, he signed up for a couple of package deal tours. First, in 2018, he joined the Retro Futura Tour, which, if you're not familiar, is a, a rotating lineup that tours every year. It's going back a couple of years now, where there's typically two fairly big-name 80s artists with uh, a handful of, I guess you'd have to call them one-hit wonders, opening for them. Tony joined Retro Futura 2018, the big names were ABC and Belinda Carlisle, and the support acts were Modern English, Tony, Lamal from Kajagogo, and Annabella Lewin from Bow Wow Wow. The four openers only got to play about three or four songs. Um, Tony told CrypticRock.com, I'm only doing four songs, which is a bit strange. By the time I've warmed up, it'll be time to get off. And that was true. I saw this tour. I'll talk about it in a little bit, but... The downside of these package tours is that these bands do not get a long time to play. Only the main two acts get to go on for more than a half an hour. Um, but I gotta say, it's a pretty smart way of slowly getting reacclimated to playing live because he hadn't done so in like 15 years. So I think this was a smart move. Now, the following year, in 2019, he joined John Payne's The Rock Pack. Now, John Payne was the lead singer of Asia in like the late 80s and into the 90s, or at some point, he was not their original lead singer. But in any case, John Payne tours now as Asia featuring John Payne. And he came up with this great idea to basically turn his band into a house band for a couple of others fairly big name lead singers now i saw the rock pack at wisconsin state fair a couple of years ago and the lead singers that played alongside john payne were steve on jerry who had been with journey fee waybill from the tubes bobby kimball from toto and lou graham from foreigners so that was a really strong lineup now since then bobby and fee have left the rock pack so John Payne's 2019 lineup for the Rock Pack would be Lou Graham, Steve Algeri, John, and now Tony. Again, smart move. Tony would get to play a little bit more than he did with Retro Futura, but it still wasn't a full solo show. But this did help him get his name out there. The new album, success with the Rock Pack and Retro Futura, he was able to book a few solo shows starting in 2019. Now, Tony Lewis's final concert ever was on Royal Caribbean's The 80s Cruise on March 10th, 2020. And the last song he ever played live in front of an audience was obviously the big hit, Your Love. And I saw a video of it. He came out and he dedicated it to my best friend, John Spinks. And then he played a great crowd-pleasing version of their biggest hit. Now, this was his last song ever in March because uh, COVID-19 shut everything down like that week. And Tony sadly passed away in October 2020. It was totally unexpected. If you look up videos 
of him doing interviews or performances in 2019 or earlier this year. He looks great. Looks healthy as can be. He's in great spirits. He's very lively. He seems very happy to be back uh, performing live again. And he seems like on the cusp of launching a, a fairly respectable late era solo career. It's certainly not unheard of. There's all kinds of classic rock guys who are doing that now. And, you know, I personally, as a fan, was very much looking forward to that. I like the album Out of the Darkness. I really wanted to hear what other stuff Tony could come up with. So like I said earlier, when Tony Lewis passed away, I, I was about as sad as I was when Eddie Van Halen did, just because I love the outfield that much. I love Tony's voice. I love their songs. It, they're, they're such a strong outfit, and I, it's always bothered me that they've been fairly overlooked and underrated. And I think their reputation might have suffered because they hadn't been able to tour for so long because John was sick. But in any case, Tony was at the point where he was re-entering the touring circuit, and I think it was going to be do good for the band's legacy and for, for Tony's future. But in any case, uh, I guess it wasn't meant to be. So his death was completely unexpected. There's been no official cause um, released. Uh, I'm sure everybody's first... Uh, worry is that it might have been coronavirus, but we have, uh, you know, there's no way to tell until they uh, put it out. If if they do, the band's always been very private about this kind of stuff, so uh, I didn't dig too deep into it, and it, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the point is he's he's gone now, and there's nothing left for us fans to do except you know mourn his loss and also make sure we keep his music alive. So. Uh, there were some remarks from uh, the friends he had made in recent years. The day he passed away, John Payne went on social media and said, From the day I met Tony, we immediately bonded. Not just over music, but we'd be like a couple of kids larking about. We always made each other laugh. He was so down to earth and was the antithesis of high maintenance. The day he died, I tweeted at everybody in the bands he was in, in Retro Futura and the Rock Pack, hoping to get some sort of response. Now, the only guy to respond to my tweets was Lamal, who tweeted at me, I shared several dressing rooms with Tony and his lovely wife, Carol. He was a big bungle of fun. We laughed a lot. I've only got good slash fond memories of a great guy slash soul. Neil Sean from Journey tweeted out, We played quite a few shows with the outfield, and they were always excellent. Now... That had reminded me, I was fairly certain I had seen videos of Neil's new vocalist, Arnel Pineda, singing Your Love in his old band on YouTube, but I, I couldn't find any right, right away, so I tweeted at Neil, and I asked him if he ever played Outfield songs, and I suggested that Arnel could really nail, nail the vocals, because he sings very similar to Tony. Neil did not respond to my tweet, but Arnel saw it, and he tweeted at me and said, I used to cover Outfield's Your Love and All the Love back in the 80s and 90s. Great memories. So that was very cool to hear, too. So obviously some nice tributes from uh, Tony's late-era uh, tour mates and also from the lead singer of a big-name touring act now, Arnel Pineda from Journey, and Neil Sean from Journey as well. 
uh, paying their respects, uh, which is very nice. The Outfield and Journey, very similar sounding bands. I think the Outfield definitely took some great inspiration from them, and I'm sure they're aware of that and appreciate that. Now, one interesting thing that is still posted on TonyLewisMusic.com is... Tony has been working on a new EP, which will be released on Madison Records in spring 2021. So, Out of the Darkness may not be the last thing we ever hear from Tony. Sounds like he had some music completed, and hopefully that will see the light of day early next year. And another interesting thing that I read was just like a day or two before he died, he had sent over some backing vocal tracks to John Payne for a song John was putting together as a charity single. I think that's been posted online, so if you're curious about that, uh, check out John Payne's social media page. Now, going back to the Retro Futura tour, I did see that tour in August 28th at the Paps Theater in Milwaukee. This was the only time I ever got to see Tony Lewis or anybody from the outfield uh, live in concert. He only played four songs, but he sounded great. Uh, it made me a little resentful that he had to share a ticket. Like he said in his quote, just as he's getting warmed up, he had to get off stage, and that is too bad. I was really hoping for a chance to see him live properly, but he, I think the Rock Pack came to like the Wisconsin Dells last year. And I guess I could have made the trip out for that. But I wanted to see a full, proper Tony Lewis solo show. And unfortunately, that just wasn't in the cards. But I am very grateful and appreciative that I did get to see him uh, with Retro Futura. He played third that night, I think. Annabella Lewin went first, then Lamal, then Tony, then Modern English, then Belinda Carlisle, and then ABC. i got to say, it was, it was a fun show. It was a great concert, but... Uh, definitely uh, needed more Tony Lewis because he was definitely the highlight, um, at least for me. So, okay, I've gone on pretty long. I think it's um, time for us to wrap it up. Just some final thoughts. Obviously, Your Love is one of the greatest songs of the 80s. It's one of the most accessible pop rock songs of all time. It is a guaranteed hit for any party or good time you're trying to have, great for in the car. But a hit that big and a song that good sets an impossible standard for a band to reach. It's lightning in a bottle, and unfortunately you can't recreate that. It's just too bad that, for whatever reason, their other songs didn't catch on enough for them to be remembered better than they are. This is a wildly underrated band. I can't recommend them enough. If you like Huey Lewis, if you like Journey, if you like 80s music in general get this album play deep check out this band get their greatest hits album go from there the greatest hits album beginnings very strong and then get voices of babylon and also check out the stuff on replay and tony's solo album out of the darkness these guys are still producing at a high level even in the last years of their life and that's definitely to be recognized and celebrated but the main thing is, is now that the primary two members are gone, it is truly up to us as fans to keep this band's music alive. Talk about this band. Recommend this band to your friends and, and family. Play this music at parties, you know? If you're in a cover band, keep singing your love in concert. This is a great band. They deserve to be better known than they are. And recording today is absolutely in memory 
of these two guys who I just have so much respect for because the music is is just so great and has always meant so much to me. So with that, I think I made my case. Step up to bat. (laughs) Sorry. Get played deep. Check out the outfield. Can't recommend them enough. Looking forward, the next couple of episodes, I'm actually hoping to have some more interviews. I haven't lined them up just yet, so I can't announce anything. But my plan is to have two more interviews before the end of the year. Then I'm going to have a Christmas special, and then we're going to do a sort of year in review for year one of uh, Play That Rock and Roll, the podcast. So a lot of good stuff to look forward to for that. So stay tuned. The intro song for this podcast is I Can Play That Rock and Roll by Joe Walsh. I want to say thank you to Marky Ramone for recording the little cameo I played at the start. That's always uh, fun to do. Marky's awesome. So very good stuff there. And then, of course, please find us on social media. You can find us at Play That Podcast on Twitter, Play That Rock and Roll on Facebook. But if you search Play That Podcast, all one word, you'll find our page that way. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash Play That Rock and Roll. And subscribe to us there for more than just podcast clips. I post a lot of good material there. Whatever I can find that's rock and roll related, I post on that YouTube channel. So be sure you find us there. The big four ways you can support this show, if you like what I do, is one, listen to the show. Two, recommend the show to family and friends or anyone you know who's looking for podcast recommendations. That's a Word of mouth is probably the best way that this show is going to get spread around. So please let people know if you enjoy this show. Three, find us on social media. Like I said, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. Those are the only three you need. That's where I'm at. Subscribe, like, and follow us there. And fourth, please, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a good rating and a nice review. That is so important for the development of a young show, which we absolutely are. So if you can review us and give us a good rating on and anywhere podcasts are available, that would be much appreciated. And those are four great ways to support the show that don't cost a dime. And, you know, no Patreon here, not asking for a dime. <laughs> Just some support on social media or getting the word out about the show means a great deal to me so with that just want to say thank you very much for listening i appreciate it hope you enjoyed it got some good stuff coming up as the year starts to wind down and we're gonna have even more great stuff in 2021 so uh, it's been great and i appreciate you tuning in so one last time the outfield It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.